Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. All right. Well, many of you are wondering what happened. And uh, some of you have asked. Uh, Sarah Lee did not beat me up, contrary to public opinion. I was not hanging lights uh, on my house. I did fall off my roof. Uh, was uh, trying to, what was I trying to do, honey? Do you remember? Part of my memory's gone. I don't remember half of you, so if I don't get your name right this morning, uh, that's why. Yeah, it was, oh yeah, chimney vents. So they blew off in the last little wind storm we had a week or so ago. And, uh, and I was trying to put those back on. It's funny though, when you transition from the ladder to the roof, um, there's a different terrain on your roof than normally there is on any other terrain. And swinging my leg around the ladder to get on was not a helpful thing, so. You're not as young as you used to be. No, the ladder, yeah, so I realized, oh, this isn't working, and then I grabbed the ladder again, and the ladder decided, oh, I don't want to work either, and it (laughs) slipped down, and all I could think while I was falling was, this isn't good. (laughs) But I'm okay now, I think. I did hit my head. You didn't get hurt either. Something like that. Well, this is Richard Fields. Everybody welcome Richard Fields, would you? So Richard Fields is the director, founder, founder, director of Helping Hands in Motion, and he has been with us in the past. It's one of the missions organizations that we actually financially support and actually go on mission trips to. They're in Haiti and also in India Mm -hmm. and have been for how many years now? Twenty-seven. 27 years, so nearly three decades of life. I'm uh, not even that old yet. That's a lie too. (laughs) Told you, I hit my head on the way down. Tell us again the mission and the vision for Helping Hands in Motion. You started it 27 years ago. What what is and was the mission and vision? Um, The mission and the vision is to, because missionaries on the field um, indigenous mostly, they have no way to connect with people around the world to say, hey, this is what we're doing. We need prayer support for it. We need financial support for it. Can you help us? So um, uh, on a mission trip, God had me on in Haiti. I had been pastoring churches. I'd been, I'd been the associate pastor at three churches and a senior pastor at another one. And God said, this is what I want you to do, Richard. I want you to start an organization that comes alongside indigenous missionaries and pastors and leaders to uh, equip them, to empower them, encourage them, enable them, to resource them so they can reach their countries for Jesus Christ. And that's how it went from there. Awesome. And so 27 years ago, that's yep. how you started. Mm-hmm. You didn't start in India, did you? Or did no, you? we started in Haiti first. Started in Haiti. And right mm-hmm. now, there's tons of political upheaval, it looks yes. like, in Haiti. Yes. Uh, of course, the weather's not been the greatest around those parts. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> tell me, how is the mission going in Haiti in light of all the political upheaval that's happening in Haiti right now? Well, 
we're very fortunate. Uh, the orphanage, and some in the church here has been there, is, it's up in the mountains. About, it's about 20, 20 miles south of the capital, Port-au-Prince. It takes about an hour and a half to two hours to do that 20, 21 miles because of the roads and situations. But we're away from where most of the disturbance and the rioting is going on. So uh, in terms of safety, we're safe uh, and we're doing well. Uh, the kids, the school in that area, they're still uh, open and the kids can go to school, get their education and be able to go to school, come back and not have to be, worry about anything. Uh, but as far as food, and we have a diesel generator that gives us electric 24-7. And as far as the other necessities to live, we have to have water. We have to buy clean water and everything. Um, those are harder to get, and they're getting much more harder all the time. Um, we, try to, we, we try to go downtown maybe once a week, uh, when I say downtown, down towards Port-au-Prince, and that's where the disturbance is at. And then we try to take our truck down there and we try to get what food we can at that time. Go down early in the morning and before the disturbance start and get out of there and get back up the mountain before anything starts. Uh, we may have to go to several service stations to find diesel fuel to carry back so we'll have it for the generators. And then we cook with gas and we have to have the uh, propane tanks filled up. So we have to try to do all of that quickly. And so that's getting much more difficult all the time. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in India, it's not much different. I mean, you've got a lot mm -hmm. of political upheaval in India right now, too. I know Compassion mm -hmm. International was actually kicked out of the country a yeah. couple of years ago. That's right. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, they're really cracking down on Christian faith-based yes. organizations. How's that affected helping Hands in Motion? Well, um, we have been very blessed. Uh, they've They've kicked out over a thousand Christian-based organizations out of India because the new prime minister uh, does not want India to have Christians in there. He wants India to be a Hindu nation once again. Um, but, you know, he realizes and he knows that India is the second largest population-wise for Muslims. Mm -hmm. uh, but so he's attacking Christians because Christians don't fight back but Muslims does. So he's going to tolerate the Muslims living with him, and, but he wants everybody else to be Hindus. He doesn't want Christians there. So all Christians are being attacked one way or another. Sometimes it's just verbally, sometimes it's physically, sometimes it's with machetes or with a, uh, and a weapon to hurt or kill someone. Yeah. yeah. How are our missionaries there? I know Pastor San Sanjay, Sanjay. Mm -hmm. is uh, one of the guys that was in the video with mm -hmm. his family, a picture mm -hmm. there. Uh, are they safe? Are they doing well? Uh, they are doing pretty good. Put it that way. They're doing pretty good. They're in one of the little bit bigger towns where yeah. it's a little bit more safer. And the government kind of watches over them, what they do. Um, uh, they have had some health problems. And I've sent a uh, prayer request to you, to Ray, mm -hmm. when they went to South India and where they had some health problems. And they went to a larger um, hospital where they could get some care and help and stuff. But... Um, uh, as far as threats on their life, they have sure. those. Mm -hmm. And as far as persecution, they have those. But they hasn't been to a point where it's been towards death or, or, okay. or anything like that. Yeah, in the area where they're at. Yeah. So, um, you know, we financially support you and we mm -hmm. do go on missions trips with mm -hmm. you. Um, and as, as, as some have actually been involved and mm -hmm. have witnessed this 
face to face, mm-hmm. you know, the, the orphanage in, mm-hmm. in Haiti and, and uh, working with Pastor Sanjay. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other ways that the church can be involved? Because a lot of times here at North Main, people say, well, I can't raise that kind of money to go on a mission yes. trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, or secondly, uh, I don't want to go overseas, mm-hmm. but I do believe in the work that's being done there. What are some other ways that people can help in, in the way of uh, support for Helping Hands in Motion, the ministries through Haiti and India? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, we are there to empower, enable, mm-hmm. and encourage, and resource national indigenous leaders. So we need support and help with that. But, you know, I can, I'll go in that in a minute. Probably the biggest thing, yeah. one of the biggest things that you're going to find in just about any country is uh, our leaders and other leaders of other countries are going to say, pray for me. Yeah. Uh, try to pick up a name. Try to pick up Sanjay. Yeah. Sudipta was there. Uh, Kinsai. We, we can t- I can give you a handful of names. Try to and have those names right. where you can have them on your prayer wall, on your refrigerator, on your, on your mirror or something. You see that name and you call sure. out that name to the Lord. And that helps them. Okay. Uh, they, they think they're alone. They sure. feel like I'm there's sure. no one there for them. And so when I go back home, I call them. I'm in constant contact with them. Uh, they will want to know who, what's going on. And then I go and say, hey, this church I just visited, you know, they've got a prayer team. And the, in the prayer team, they've got y'all's names written down, and they're praying yeah. for you. So that's probably the best way. That, that's, you know, and we need money. I always need money. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, pastors in, in India, yeah. they can't get a job because they're a Christian and no one will hire them. So we try to start small businesses. We try to give training events and things like that. Uh, Right now, we're going to do a training event. Uh, um, One of our pastors, his parents were getting older, and he started doing some research, and he found out that um, like a lot of other countries, when a person gets older, they're almost left alone. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes the parents are left in a home and maybe just to die. Yeah. And it's really grasped. God got a hold of his heart, and he has started the ministry. To, he's called it the Golden Age Center, yeah. and he's reaching out to them. Right. And right now, it's probably around 20 people that he has brought in from a sure. community where God... God gave him, uh, it's hard to find a building over to do anything. And Mm -hmm. there was a guy that had almost like a garage. And they've converted that garage into a ministry center. And they're reaching out to the people in that community and bringing them in. And so what they're they're doing is um, um, they are starting a sewing center Mm -hmm. um, where they're going to make bags, not like this one, but other bags. And because India has a worse problem with plastic than America does. And they want to try to eliminate some of the plastic bags sure. of going to grocery stores. So they want them to buy a bag, and then they take that bag to the grocery store and eliminate some of the plastic. So we're helping them with that project, and we're helping them get that started so yeah. that they can help them be sustainable, not depend so much on American money. So that project's real easy, like $500 Good. is all. So somebody can say, hey, I want to help that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to send them $500 and get it started anyway. Sure. But somebody say, Richard, I want to give you that $500 back because you're pulling it out of yeah. somewhere else. So things like that, things like that. Yeah. Nice. Because we're, we're even in India, India and in Haiti, we're finding, looking for sustainable ways to help the community mm-hmm. and the orphanage. We just don't work with the pastors. We work with community too. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Just like this church here. Yeah. So uh, would you be willing to stick around afterward if people yeah. have any questions mm-hmm. or anything? Yeah. So we yeah. n- actually, I don't know since last time you were here, we have a welcome center now. 
now. Okay. Uh, all the way in the back corner of the hallways okay. here, which is actually a main crossroads okay. for people. If you could wait there, people, okay. I know everybody will come. Okay. Right. Uh, so, and they will they will ask questions. Ooh, oh, here, okay. oh, that's mine. I've you got a table it. set up back here. Let oh, you have up. one set up where? I've got back. Oh, well, then never mind. He'll meet you over here. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, I don't I, want I to throw you off your game. Put Laura or Ray at the table. It's in the gathering place where our coffee shop is. So. Uh, yeah, close to the coffee shop. Let me show you a couple things. Uh, we work in the community, and in Haiti, we're trying to help the, com uh, the community, and we've helped a women start a, a business. And this is um, bags that they make. We buy everything over there. The only thing is bought there is this little label down on the bottom. We have that made in America, and we have it carried over there because we can't get it made over there. Uh, and this business is called Bagai Kibon. Say one more time. Bagai Kibon. You're from West Virginia, right? Yeah, and that's got a That Southern is really accent. hard for you to say. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Bagai Kibon. Yeah. It's I like want, If I want to do it with West Virginia, I go, Bagai Kibon. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Very nice. And kind of cute. Yeah, it's really cute. Yeah. All right, anyway, so go but ahead. Anyway, um, Bagai Kibon means good things. And we kind of hashtag in front of it and behind it and said, doing good things together. So we've helped this business get started so that these ladies can help their community, help their churches, their Christians, and then they are tithing in their church. They're buying a local produce. So that is, it's a rippling effect. And so we help them. So I've got a few of these bags with me, and you can look at them on the table back there. And right now, all of our bags are $30. And, but if you buy a bag for $30, a kid in Haiti that doesn't have a backpack, we are giving them a backpack. We're making backpacks. Over here is a bag this lady bought this morning. Yeah, already. Oh, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> this is a commercial promo. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And so I didn't either, but it's, it's okay. It's a God thing. Okay. But Amen. anyway, uh, uh, the kids, we said, yeah, we're helping the community also. We want to help the kids get to school. A lot of them don't have backpacks, so we... We uh, design the backpack, and the ladies are making those, and we give those to the kids that don't, after you buy a bag, we'll give a kid that doesn't have a backpack to help him go to school and stuff. So bag Ichiban. Bag Ichiban. That's what I said. No, you didn't. <laughs> he didn't say that, did he? No. Okay. Hey, and this, um, I'm giving this to the church. And, oh, uh, thank you. you. Uh, I won't give it to you, your own crutches, so I'll give it either to or I'll give it to she Ray left. or something. Okay, I'll give it to somebody else. Um, I want to, and they can put it up in the display where the mission stuff's at. Yeah, and yeah. I want y'all to look at this. And I can't it, see it. I had these, huh? Oh, okay. Thank I you. had these made in um, Haiti. I went to a vendor and said, hey, this is That's what nice. I want. It's like a little house. No, there's no, you, I find houses like this out in the, way out of ta towns and stuff. And in India, they'll have some looks like this too also. But I want y'all to look at this. I want you to realize, guys, you are impacting people around the world. Here, yeah, go ahead, thank you, yeah. Here around the world, I mean here in distant I'm distant. I'm in distant. I'm in Butler. No, distance a little distant. bit further. Yeah, I'm in Butler. Which way? Yeah, that in way. Here in Butler, um, you guys are impacting people on the other side of the world. You say, what am I doing? And, God's going to, and Satan's going to try to say, you're not doing nothing. You are. You're impacting people around the world. I want you to look at this, and it reminds you 
how people on the other side of the world are getting saved because you are praying for them, you are investing in them. And I don't want you to ever forget that. When Satan tries to tell you no, I want you to go back and look at this little thing and remind yourself that, yes, we're making a difference and God is helping us do it. And I just want to say thank you. You guys have been partners for a while, and we just thank you so very much. You, you sent teams to Haiti. You, Ray has been to India with me, and it's just awesome what all this church is doing. We just can't thank you enough. Well, thank you, Richard. And can you thank Richard yep. today, please? We'll see you at the coffee shop. Thank you, brother. Um, uh, Lay, yeah, yeah, I don't know. You can take the microphone home. Or you can give it to, Angela was like, please give it to me, please. <laughs> so last week we started a series, and again, Richard will be at the Gathering Place coffee shop. He's selling his wares there. Uh, and uh, we saw one of the bags there just a moment ago. Um, hey, we started a series last week, and I, I, I have intentionally shortened my sermon today because I know time is, a, that is not. <laughs> hey, uh, Richard. How long will they stay for a worship service in Haiti? Uh, two hours. Uh, how about India? Uh, two to three hours. <laughs> Don't give me no lip. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so welcome back. We are starting, we started a series last week uh, entitled Hopeful in the Meantime, and we're talking about Hope, hope is an aspect of love because if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and we break down the definition of love as Paul did in his letter to the church at Corinth from verses four to verse seven, some go to eight, A, you can look it up. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 13, four to seven-ish. In there it says, love is always hopeful. And when we were talking about this as a team back some months ago, even last year, and we were planning for this year, the story of Hannah kept coming back to my mind. Hannah is in the Old Testament. She's the mother of a young man by the name of Samuel. We actually have two books written about Samuel in the Old Testament, first and second Samuel. And this is where we find the story of Hannah in the first and second chapters of first Samuel. And we're continuing her story today. But last week, if you remember, Hannah, much like many of the women in some of the Old Testament that were a part of God's divine story, was unable to have children. But Elkanah, her husband, actually had another wife, which was not uncustomary in those days for men to take more than one wife. I got into the big shtick last week about whether or not God was okay with having men having multiple wives. And honestly, no, he's not. All right, what did God design for the perfectness of human creation in the garden? It was not good for man to be alone, so he created woman out of man, so that the two shall be joined together and become one flesh. Father, uh, the son shall leave the father and the mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one, okay? All right, so we established that last week. But regardless, Elkanah had actually two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. Peninnah was able to have children for Elkanah, but Elkanah loved Hannah so much that he didn't care whether or not she could have kids. And actually, she was living a pretty decent life under his provision, but she so desperately wanted to have kids because 
In that culture, in that day and age, even up through the time of Jesus, for a woman to be barren was not a good thing. It was actually frowned upon, looked down upon. You would have been ridiculed, mocked, discouraged, uh, would not even begin to touch how you were or how you felt. Uh, And so Hannah started going into these throes of depression, downhearted, very distressed, in despair. And she got to the point to where she wouldn't even eat. Well, what didn't help the matter much was her uh, uh, the, the lady whose name was Peninnah, uh, was really ridiculing her horribly bad. Yo, you can't have kids, but I can, na-na-na-boo-boo kind of stuff, you know, but it was even worse than that. And so Hannah got really, really depressed to the point she wouldn't even eat. And at the end of the last section that we looked at last week, Elkanah comes to her and he says, listen, am I not better to you than 10 sons? Now that sounds arrogant unless you understand where he's coming from because husbands in that day and age, if their wife couldn't bear them children, especially a son, they would have looked down upon their wife and would have scoffed and would have ridiculed them as well. But Elkanah said, no, 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 I still love you. I don't care if you can give me 10 sons or not. I love you that much. And so we pick up her story today in verse nine. So read along with me if you will. Actually, before we get there, let me read this story. Have you ever heard of Watchman Nee? How many of you ever heard of Watchman Nee? Okay, so beginning in the 16th century, Protestant missionaries went to China uh, for, the, for the gospel. But in the opening years of the 20th century, following the years of faithful labor and prayer, the Lord's move in China began to advance dramatically after the martyrdom of many Christians in the Boxer Rebellion. How many of you have heard of the Boxer Rebellion? All right. Okay, good. Now, in the 1920s, many believers who were raised up by the Lord from uh, high school, uh, excuse me, from among high school and college students throughout China became instrumental in the spread of the gospel in China in the early 20th century. From among these students, Ni Shu Tzu, which is Watchman Ni, that's who we become to know him as, was called and equipped by the Lord for his work. But before he was born, His family came to Christ. His mom and dad were influenced by the Christian movement and they totally sold themselves out to become believers in Christ no matter what the cost. His mother would pray this prayer in her early years of marriage. If you, Father, God in heaven will just give me a son. I will dedicate him to you. He will be yours from the time he is born. If you just give me a son. Does this sound familiar to some of our Old Testament passages? Before long, Watchman Nee was born. He was exceptionally intelligent. From his entrance into elementary school through his graduation from the Anglican Trinity College, grand dreams and plans for his future, he could have had had this great success in anything he set his hand to if he wanted to. In 1920, at the age of 17 years old, after considerable struggle, he was dynamically saved while in high school. At the moment of his salvation, His plans for his future were entirely abandoned. He testified 
He said this, from the evening I was saved, I began to live a new life. For the life of the eternal God had entered into me. Later, when he was called to, to the Lord to carry out his commission, he adopted the English name Watchman. Before that, it was Ni Shu Tzu. I can't even pronounce it. I'm, I don't speak Chinese or Mandarin well, okay? We'll just say that. The story of Watchman Nee's birth is this modern-day example that's been repeated time and time again in the Old Testament narratives. Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was barren. She couldn't have any kids. But in their old age, God had promised Abraham and Sarah they would bear a son. And we know that Abraham and Sarah were not even faithful to wait on the Lord to give them a son. So much so that Sarah said, why don't you take my servant Hagar and sleep with her? Maybe that's how God wants us to have kids. And so he gives, so Sarah gives Abraham Hagar she bears a child, his name is Ishmael, but it didn't go well in the home. Because before long, Abraham would be granted the promise he was given by God to have a son through Sarah. They named him Isaac. And they kicked Hagar and Ishmael out of the home. Rebecca, Isaac's wife. Abraham, Isaac. Did you know Isaac's wife was barren for a while? She couldn't have kids. She was depressed, she was worried. But before long, God heard her cries for a child and instead of one child, he gave her two, Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob were born. Jacob would be through whom the line and the blessing of the promise would come. Well, guess what? Jacob's favorite wife, because technically he had four. Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, whom he loved with all of his heart. Do you know she was barren? Do you see a theme in scripture? That sometimes when God wants to do something so amazing, he does it through the most impossible thing possible. Why does he do that? To show off? Why does God take the seemingly impossible to do something possible? Why does Jesus in the New Testament say with, God, or with, with man, these kind of things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible? Because in the human world we live, in the finite way we look at things, we think that if we can't accomplish it through our means, then it can't be done. But God wants us not to rely on what we can do alone. He wants us to rely on him. And so oftentimes, he wants to know if we trust him enough to do the impossible. But see, one of the things I see in the American church all too often is the reality of the fact that we aren't willing to trust him that much. We're only willing to trust him so far, and then if it doesn't happen, we do this thing that Americans so often do with flair, and that is give up. If we can't have it by the push of a button, by a push of a button on an app on our phone, if we can't have it our way right away, hey, that's a tagline for a fast food restaurant, what do we do? How, if you have to sit a little extra longer in a drive-thru, do you, do you get angry? Huh? 
This is a fast food lane. I thought it was supposed to be fast food, right? And we get irritated. And we have that mindset in our faith if we're believers in Christ. God, I prayed for this just two seconds ago. Where, where, how come you're not coming through for me? I gave my life to you. I believe in you. Everything should be perfect now, right? Isn't that how God works? He's like a cosmic vending machine. And when we push the button and the little treat gets stuck between the glass and the little spinny thing, we're like, oh, it's okay. It'll come out in, in time, right? We just say, no, we start beating and banging on the thing. We rock it like this. It's not gonna take my money, but this is how we do in our faith, isn't it? We put our money in, we do our time, we give our money to the church, or we do, God, it should be going perfect for me. Nothing should be stuck between the glass. Right? Whoever has perpetuated the lie that maybe you've come to believe that giving your life to Christ means that the rest of your days will be without trouble, has told you and sold you a bill of goods. Now, that sounds like a great marketing ploy. If I was in the business world or I was a CEO of a company, come to our business, it'll get worse. Right? I mean, that's a great tagline. And let me tell you, there were constant times, there were many, many times where Jesus was facing the crowds of people. He had amassed a ton of people that were following him. And times when that happened, he would turn and face the crowd and he would say something like, hey, guys, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. <laughs> Great tagline, right? This is a good business model. Jesus was awesome at this. And it says in John chapter six that many that day turned and went back home because it was too much for them. Now, Jesus wasn't telling them they needed to become cannibals because they weren't able to really understand the truth of his teaching. And the 12 that were left, his own disciples, he turns to them and looks and says, are you gonna go home too? And Peter says something so profoundly amazing that should be our response to Jesus when he says, are you gonna go home too? He says, to whom shall we go? He doesn't say, where should we go to? He says, to whom shall we go? You're the, one that you're, you're the one that has the words of eternal life. You see, they understood. But I'm concerned that many in our churches don't understand what that means. And so we get ticked off at this church or at the church down the road, and because we're going to get the business model idea of consumerism, we go, oh, they, they won't give me what I want here, then I'm gonna go to one down the street. I'm not condemning you. I'm not even condemning myself, but the reality is that's what happens. Are we really impacting the world for the sake of Christ, or are we just swapping sheep? I feel like sometimes I'm at a livestock auction, and the church down the street says, yeah, they've been troublemakers for us, good luck. You know, and they'll sell us their sheep. I mean, we just do the, the sheep, sheep swap. Say that three times fast. When there are people dying and going to hell as we speak in our own backyards, is there hope? Of course there's hope. 
And we have it. If you're a believer in Christ, you have hope. What do you do with it? You see, Hannah was at this point of hopelessness. She didn't think anything was going to change in her life. Except one morning, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, she gets herself up, dresses herself, and she goes to the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a place of worship and prayer and sacrifice. And she gets up, and she goes there. And this is what happens. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up, went to pray. Eli, the priest, or the high priest at the time, was sitting at the customary place beside the entrance to the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, the scripture tells us, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look down on my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Now, we did a series not too long ago on Samson. What does it mean to dedicate your child to the Lord, not cut their hair? And one of the things that's missing here is he wasn't to even touch grapes or have wine from the fruit of the vine. They were considered a Nazarene, or this was a Nazarite vow. So Hannah is committing the Nazarite vow to God for her son, if God would just give her a son. Guess what happens next? (laughs) This is why I love scripture, because they don't really pull any punches to the truth that was going on in the scenario. Listen to what happens. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Now figure that, catch this. He's He's sitting at his seat as the high priest at the entrance to the tabernacle. He sees her praying off in the distance, and what happens? He's watching her as she prays. Seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. There are days that I come into this church. I'm just kidding. I I won't go there. (laughs) Seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she'd been drinking. And then he decides, hey, lady. Okay, that's the way I would say it. But he says, must you come here drunk? Throw away your wine. Oh, no, 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 sir. No, 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 no. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. But I'm very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think that I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. And then Eli just said... (laughs) sure he may have been embarrassed I don't know I would have been if I called a woman drunk who wasn't drunk but was just praying and I was a pastor of the church I'm like oh really you drunk and she no I'm just praying right and so he goes he goes oh in that case kind of let's brush that little faux pas under the rug in that case go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request that you've asked of him oh thank you sir she says Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. See, here's the key point. Hopeful prayer to a mighty God will dispel despair. Hopeful prayer to a mighty God will dispel despair. Now, what is the key point here? The key point is that it has to be hopeful prayer. Because here's the thing. It goes back to what I was talking about a minute ago. With God, all things are possible. But with man, it is impossible. So the thing is, do you trust and have hope enough in the prayers you pray that God will hear and answer? 
Because a lot of times in between the prayer we pray and the waiting for the answer, there's this period of doubt. I mean, Jesus says this oftentimes in the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Do you hear me? I mentioned Peter a lot in the context of this doubt narrative, because Peter was oftentimes putting himself out there, but then he would mess things up, right? And we know this when Jesus is walking on the water, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, and, and, and in one of the Gospels, Peter says, truly, Lord, if it's you, call me to come out to you on the, way, on the water. And what does Jesus do? He's like, no, you're stupid. Stay in the boat. No, that's not what he says, in case you're not a student of Scripture. He says, all right, get on out here, right? In so many ways. And so Peter hops outside of the safety of the boat and begins to walk on the water toward Jesus. But what happens? He gets his eyes off Jesus, and he starts to look at the wind and the waves, and what happens? He begins to sink. He begins to sink literally in his doubt and figuratively in his doubt. He is starting to now drown until Jesus reaches over, grabs him, pulls him out into the boat, and now he's in this safe place again, and he looks at Peter and says, Peter, 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 why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And we talked about, when I mentioned that some time ago, that who was Peter doubting in? It wasn't in Jesus, he was doubting in himself. And here's the problem with most of us. Yes, I'm standing up, but I'm not gonna put weight on that foot. Here's a problem with many of us. We take a step out in faith. Things are going good for a while, and then we get hit by a wave, or the wind blows us off balance, and instead of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, we start to sink amidst doubt. And we start to doubt ourselves. We start to doubt our own abilities. When it's not about our own abilities, it's about his and what he can do through us. In Luke chapter 9, if you want to be my follower, Jesus says, I mentioned this in my class this morning, if any of you wants to be my follower, Jesus says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. We talked about commitment this morning in my class. Hannah was all in committed. She had gotten to the point where she couldn't turn anywhere else. And she decided one morning after the sacrificial meal, she would clean herself up, get on her, uh, her daily wares and go to the tabernacle to pray because she said, surely God will hear me. And she went and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and even an accusation of drunkenness couldn't deter her. But she pressed in. See, here's the point. Instead of reeling in her distress and despair, she found hope in taking her desires to the Lord in prayer. But what's our first reaction when we come on hard times? I'll tell you what mine is, even as a pastor, my first reaction is to try to figure out and problem solve and figure a way out of the mess. When the first response should always be to go to the Lord in prayer. That doesn't mean you can't go and find help other places. If it's an emergency situation, call 911, okay? I hear that 911, but that was perfect timing, whoever did that, I love it. <laughs> I didn't even stage that. I wish I did. But here's the thing, in the meantime, while you're waiting on the ambulance, put yourself to prayer. 
See, because with you it may be impossible, but with God all things are possible. According to All About Life Challenges, the following are some signs of discouragement. Tell me if you have these. Sleeplessness. Now that may not be the only sign of discouragement, but sleeplessness. The mind and the soul are full of worry, so much so that you can't sleep. Uh, Maybe it's restlessness is another one. Uh, Absent-mindedness sets in and weariness results and you start to do things they're like, why did I do that, right? Or you start, you, you leave stuff certain places. Some of you are just prone to leave stuff certain places and not remember where you set it down. But some of you don't ever do that. And then you start absent-mindedly doing things. You're like, what am I doing? I'm brushing the baby's hair with a toothbrush. I meant to brush my teeth and then brush, you know, you do these things. What about uh, complacency? Some people who are lost in discouragement, despair, and depression find themselves becoming complacent. They have a loss of interest for food, even though they might have not eaten for hours or a day or so. They just have no appetite. What about negative thoughts? You know, the ultimate uh, of this are thoughts of suicide. We know that Hannah had gotten to this place where she was at the bottom of the barrel and she didn't know what else to do. But she'd grown up in a home and had lived with a husband who was a righteous man for all intents and purposes. And they went to the tabernacle every year. And while there, she decided she was going to get up one morning and go and pray. And she did. The second thing we notice about this story really quickly is Hannah wasn't discouraged by Eli's response to her praying, nor did she rebuke him for thinking her drunk while praying. What is one of them? Have you ever been like really on the down and out? at a low point, and you've had people be critical of you? Huh? You're like, when it rains, it pours. What is your normal response to somebody who's negative or hateful to you when you're at your lowest point? You get angry back. You show them your fangs and your claws, so to speak. But what does she do? She's at one of the lowest points. She's praying. This guy, who is the high priest in the tabernacle, who should know better, thinks she's drunk and calls her out for it. And she says, no, 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 I'm not drunk. Please don't think I'm a wicked woman. She gently corrects him so that he understands that, he is, that she is not drunk. See, when we're at a place of discouragement, pain, despair, and hurt, our initial response out of selfless or selfishness is to respond in kind and to hurt the other back. But Jesus tells us in the New Testament, don't repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't respond out of your hurt by hurting other people. Instead, overcome that by gently rebuking and correcting and saying, no, 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 this really isn't the case. Let me tell you what's happening. You're like, they don't deserve to hear what's happening in my life the way they're treating me. Well, they may not want to hear it, but it doesn't give us the license and the point of discouragement to lash out because it only perpetuates this ongoing dilemma that we find ourselves in. It doesn't help. Now, I know that sounds harsh coming from a pastor. Hey, when somebody bites your head off when you're at a really bad place, don't bite their head off back because that's what our fleshly side wants to do. But we are not to respond the way they do because we stoop to the level of lowliness that they come from. 
What we know about Eli is not that he was a horrible man, but he wasn't a great father because his two sons become the next high priests or were, were in line to become the priests after him and they were wicked men. Who knows what Eli was dealing with of his own account. He probably knew his sons were doing things they shouldn't have been doing. And he may have instructed them and tried to tell him, stop doing this, stop doing this, but they hadn't done it. And now he's there, he may be bitter, sitting at the entrance of the tabernacle, knowing that his sons are wicked men. And he looks out and he sees this woman and he's already embittered in his own cell. And he calls her out for her wickedness or what seems to be wickedness. See, everybody is hurt at some level. We all are hurt, we're all broken at some place. And we perpetuate brokenness whenever we feel that somebody's calling us out or misrepresenting us. And instead of responding in a way that is godly love and hope, we respond with the same type of evil perspective. And that is not good. We should take a note of Hannah and realize we can't respond the same way people respond to us. We must always respond with Christ-like love in every situation. Lastly, because I realize we're going a bit long today, is this. Hannah left the temple in complete peace, believing that God had heard her prayers. So here's the deal. If you take these heavy things in your life to God, if you respond in godly ways to others, even when they're calling you out or misrepresenting you, are you willing to walk away resolved that God has heard your prayers and that he will answer them when he's ready? You see, you can't have peace otherwise. It all boils down to trust. If you trust God, then you'll trust he'll answer when he's ready and in his perfect timing. We become so impatient. Remember the vending machine thing. We want to shake it out between the glass. As if we can grab God by the shoulders and shake him into the reality of our circumstances like he doesn't know what we're going through. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he knows exactly what the right answer is to your dilemma. But he wants to know, do you trust me enough to see you through this? Do you trust me enough that I will answer at the right time and it will be the perfect time for you? Do you trust that I hear you, I see you, I'm acquainted with your griefs and sorrows, as the prophet Isaiah says, and that I'm willing to go there with you, I'm willing to walk this road with you, but I won't take you out of it. I want to see you through it, because in seeing you through it, it can make you stronger. What if, God, what if you as a parent constantly pulled your kid out of dangerous situations? Or let's not even say dangerous situation. What if you as a parent are constantly fixing your child's problems instead of letting them figure things out on their own? Would they learn? Would they grow? See, I teach sixth and seventh grade Bible now at Penn Christian Academy. And I used to teach college classes, freshman and sophomore level college classes at a university. And one of the things I learned is that those kids that have been handed everything their whole life, don't learn. Or they expect the teacher to constantly bail them out. And I'm not a bailer-outer. 
I'm a walker through. I, I tell my students, listen, I'll, I'll work with you on this, but I'm not going to bail you out. Because there's going to come a point in time when you won't have people to bail you out, and it's just going to be you. And the only one you can rely on isn't just yourself, but God and God alone. And he's not always going to bail you out. Instead, he's going to make you go through some things to strengthen you and toughen you up. Those are hard things as a parent to let your kid go through some tough stuff. But your kids grow, they learn. And when they grow and they learn, they begin to understand that though this life is hard, there is a God who has overcome this world. And if I put my life, my hope, and my trust in him, then I too can overcome the world even when it's not perfect. Let me close with this this morning. You remember Watchman Nee? that I spoke about earlier, he actually wrote several books. And one of the books he wrote is called Sit, Walk, and Stand. Listen to this testimony in his book. This is a real life experience that he had. He said, in his book, Sit, Walk, and Stand, Watchman Nee describes a preaching mission to an island off the south of China. There were seven in the ministering group, including a 16-year-old new convert whom he calls his, uh, Brother Wu, W-U. The island was fairly large, containing about 6,000 homes. Nee uh, had a contact there, an old schoolmate of his, who was a headmaster of the village school, but he refused to house the group when he discovered that they had come there to preach the gospel. Finally, they found lodging in a Chinese, with a Chinese herbalist who became their first convert to Christianity. Preaching seemed quite fruitless. People were into this idol worship. There was a specific god of the island they worshiped called Ta Wang. They were convinced his of his power because the day of his festival every year, they would parade each year. It was always perfect. That day of the year that they calculated within their own calendars, Somehow, the weather was perfect that day of every year for them to parade outside and worship of this idol. Question came up, when is the procession this year? This young 16-year-old minister that was with the group, 16 years old. It's fixed for January the 11th at eight in the morning. Then said the new convert to the whole tribe without Watchman Nee being around, I promise you it will certainly rain on the 11th. <laughs> Do you have that kind of faith? Imagine going to a village that had never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They worshiped an idol and the 16 year old that was with your group told this group of people, that on the perfect day of the year, when you guys do your worship of this idol, it is going to pour down the rain, I promise you. <laughs> with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So, there was this outburst of cries from the people. That's enough! We don't wanna hear any more of your preaching. If there's rain on the 11th, then your God is God. This was just last century, 20th century. 
Watchman Nee had been everywhere or elsewhere in the village when this confrontation had taken place. That'd be, that'd be like me taking a group of youth on a missions trip and then one of the youth, when I wasn't around, saying, it's going to rain on the day of your uh, idol fest. <laughs> you just said, what? You're going to do what? But what does he do? Upon being informed about it, he saw that the situation was serious and he called a group to prayer. On the morning of the 11th, there was not a cloud in the sky, but during grace for breakfast, sprinkles began to fall and these were followed by heavy rain. Worshippers of the idol, Ta Wang, were so upset that they placed this idol on a chair, carried it outdoors, hoping that this would stop the rain. The rain increased no matter how hard they tried, after only a short distance of carrying this idol out on this chair, the carriers of the idol stumbled and fell, dropping the idol and fracturing its jaw and then left arm. A number of young people turned to Christ as a result of the rain coming in answer to prayer, but the elders of the village had made divination and said, no, 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 it was the wrong day. <laughs> He said, it wasn't the 11th. We were mistaken. It's actually on the 14th, a few more days from now. The proper day of procession is the 14th. And when Nee and his friends heard this, they again went to prayer, asking for rain on the 14th, but for clear days in between so that they could preach the gospel. That afternoon on the 14th, the sky cleared, or excuse me, that afternoon the sky cleared and on the good days that followed, there were 30 converts. Of the crucial test day, Nee says this in his own words, the 14th broke, another perfect day. We had a good meeting. As the evening approached, we met again at the appointed hour and we quietly brought the matter to the Lord's remembrance. Not a minute late, his answer came with torrential rain and floods as before. Do you believe that when you pray, your prayers have an effect on the heart of God? And do you believe that when you pray, that God will answer them? Do you trust 100% that the Lord hears and will answer in his time and in his way? Are you willing to pray the big prayers and not doubt? Are you willing to pray in such a way that can move mountains? Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain over there, move and it will move. Where's your hope? Where's your trust? What do you believe in? See, Hannah believed in a God of all creation, was willing to risk everything and to pray through. And it said she walked away and began to eat again, content by the fact that God had heard her prayer. As our worship team comes forward to close this out this morning, I don't know where you are, what's going on in your life, you know. But here's the deal. God knows where you are, but he also knows where you need to be. And if you're not where you need to be, he's not gonna let you off the hook. But he wants you, he desires for you to be in the squareness of, who, of his will. And you can't be there if you're constantly fighting against him.
trying to do things on your own, in your own way. So what's it gonna take? It takes complete trust in a savior who went to the cross for you and was willing to sacrifice himself for you. And he knew some of us would turn away, would spit in his face, would reject him, would mock him. But he also knew others would come to believe in him through faith. Are you Hannah this morning? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We know it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that God, you are good, you are holy, you are righteous, you are perfect, and that in you there is life and hope for salvation. And that God, no matter what this life brings, that you will give us eternal life if we remain faithful to you. Forgive us of our sins this morning, Father. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Heal us from the inside out, the hurts, the pains, the struggles, the depression, the restlessness, the sleeplessness. God, give us a hope to believe in. Remind us that the only hope that we can have is through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. And when we hope, remind us to always trust that you see and hear and are there with us. And as we pray, remind us that we can walk away with full assurance knowing that you've heard the prayer and now we wait. But those of us who wait upon the Lord, remind us this, Father, those of us that wait upon the Lord will find new strength. We will mount up on wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not faint. Thank you, Father, for those promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.